This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey guys, this is Ian Happ from the Chicago Cubs. I'm excited to announce that my show, The Compound, is now part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Join me and my teammates, Dakota Meckes and Zach Short. This week, we welcome Cubs first baseman, World Series champion, Anthony Rizzo to The Compound. Check it out. Subscribe. The Compound on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. What is up, Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Pavalli, coming at you as we continue our decade ranking series with Adam Frommel. He is an editor for Bleacher Report, as well as the founder and editor-in-chief of NBA Math. Follow him on Twitter at Frommel09. We are up to the top 10 players for the Los Angeles Lakers of this past decade. Spoiler alert, this franchise was maddening to rank in this context. You will find out soon enough, and we start things off with a two-way tie in ninth place. There's no 10th place. That's how you get uh, the Lakers started off. That's that's just the best way to do it. It was that confusing of a process. Before we get into this, though, just a reminder to continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcast. That subscription link is constantly being tweeted out with the promotional links for each episode. We appreciate everyone who is downloading our episodes. If you leave ratings and reviews, that helps us a great deal. If you have done all of those things, please, word of mouth, retweet our promos. Tell your friends, family members, acquaintances, random people on Twitter. Just throw links in their mentions. They will thank you later. You can follow us on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. Also follow our YouTube channel where basically every podcast gets posted on there, including this Decade Player Ranking series. We have a nice little nifty playlist built of it. Just go to YouTube.com, search Hardwood Knox. We will come up. Last but certainly not least, just want to shout out our sponsor for this week, Bet Online. You will be hearing from them in just a moment. Adam, how are you doing? I'm good and confused because as you mentioned, this was a maddening franchise to try to figure out the top 10 for from 2010-11 through the present. Um, we saw 40 different players receive votes in the fan ballot, um, ranging from all sorts of role players to the hopeful inclusion, I assume, of Jimmy Butler, who has, to the best of my knowledge, never played for the Lakers. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's correct. Um, nothing made sense here. It was It was weird from start to finish, which I think is kind of a testament to how the Lakers have fared over the last decade, um, which was coming out of those Kobe, Pau Gasol title years into the strange first Dwight Howard era into some of the worst teams in franchise history. And now they're starting to surge back toward the top again in, in LeBron James's second year with the franchise. None of it made sense once more. Um, 
And I, I guess that's as good a time as ever to segue into the actual top 10, which was determined by the fan vote by my top 10 and by Dan's top 10. Um, we actually had four players appear in top 10s who didn't make the composite top 10. Um, and those were Andrew Bynum, who was sixth place in the fan vote and did not appear for either myself or Dan. Um, then we had Dwight Howard and Jordan Clarkson tied just below him. Uh, Dan had Jordan Clarkson at eighth. No one else had him. I had Dwight at eighth. No one else had him. And then we had Lonzo Ball, who was 10th place for Dan, but did not make either of the other rankings. So as you can probably tell from those names, like it's already getting weird because Andrew Bynum in particular, I think we can single out as a guy who, from a pure talent standpoint and from a pure production standpoint, probably belongs in the top 10. But his tenure with the Lakers wasn't always successful. It had one of the more infamously bad moments when he clotheslined J.J. Barea in frustration to close out a playoff series. And I, I totally get why we don't have him, even though the fans do. And I, I think like he alone kind of underscores just how weird this addition is going to be. So for me, it was if I wasn't going to put Anthony Davis in my on my list, which spoiler alert, I did not. This is his first season there. It, it I won't say it made me. It made the unilateral unilateral decision to leave off a, a Bynum and an Odom because of their sample size, but it, it made me feel a little bit more empowered to do so. Just because Bynum had one really good year of the two years he spent there, Lamar Odom's year with the Lakers was spectacular. But there's you know waiting thereness, which is why I was surprised that Clarkson ultimately didn't make a list third in minutes, I think it is for the Lakers yep. over this decade. So that was a little bit surprising to me. But I think if you were going on the flip side, which would make sense from the fans' perspective, if you were going to include Anthony Davis, I think then you do need to include Bynum and Odom, if that makes any sense. It does. But at the same time, like Clarkson is third in minutes played, but only 7,681 over the last decade. I mean, Kobe is still the runaway first place in minutes played, even though he retired after the 2015-16 season. Like this, there hasn't been any sort of continuity with this organization throughout the last decade. Um, you know, D'Angelo Russell, 13th in minutes played, despite only playing two seasons there. Brandon Ingram, only three seasons, and he's up in eighth. So for me, it was like, as as much attention as we've paid to the thereness factor for other organizations, it was harder for me to use that as a starting point for this one, just because there's been so much turmoil. Yeah, I think that's a fair way to approach it. And look, I had Lonzo Ball make my cut, and he's 21st in minutes. I think that he was underrated defensively while he was with the Lakers and people focus so much on his three point percentage, but just one of one of the best passers in the game. And had he been healthier and cracked a hundred games during his his time there, I might have felt a little bit more motivated to to even move him up the list, perhaps above Kuzma. I think he's one of those guys that's just super valuable, even if your team is bad, his value just really isn't always properly reflected or necessarily contextualized but this was look this was tough there was only the top three seemed like they were going to be consensus and that's how it shook out and, and speaking of Lonzo Ball uh, another important side note is that his father LeVar Ball and I can tell from Dan's look that he has no idea where I'm going with this um, but but LeVar Ball did get a vote which was interesting and I, I deleted that vote because he's not a player um, Steve Ballmer also got a vote which was interesting since he is not affiliated with the Lakers franchise. So once more, this was a weird one. <laughs> yeah, and also, why would you rank Steve Ballmer? If anything, he took Kawhi Leonard from the Lakers. I don't know if that makes him a top 10 Laker. 
yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, we could have an entire separate recording session about Jimmy Butler, Steve Ballmer, and LeVar Ball and, and why they showed up in the top 10 for the Lakers. But the people who actually did, um, we have a two-way tie to kick things off. It was between Lamar Odom, um, who was fifth for the fans and did not appear for either me or Dan. Um, and we had Kyle Kuzma, who actually did appear on all three ballots, which is kind of a rarity here. Um, he was eighth for the fans, he was tenth for me, and he was ninth for you. Um, Odom was tough because he only played the one season and he was good. Um, but we've had so many players play like these short, abbreviated stints and be good to some extent for the Lakers. And I, I did feel like Kuzma needed to be on there, if for no other reason the the loyalty that the Lakers seem to want to show to him. Like the fact that he was deemed like pseudo untouchable in the Anthony Davis talks and, and is still there despite not really developing as some might have expected after his encouraging first season. I, I think that those are important factors. Yeah, for sure. And look, he's probably, I won't say he's underrated by this point because it does seem like he's still overrated by the Lakers fan base itself there. I think they've gotten better at recognizing his flaws and probably understand he's not the third star. That's also a bar he's being measured against in certain places, not this space, just to be clear. And that's kind of warped like what he can actually be. And it's, you know, he's not the worst defender on that team. He can survive at some of the wing positions and he's someone who can, who can score, you know, you would like him to shoot a higher percentage off the catch, but there's also value in knowing that you have someone who, again, maybe not the most efficient player, but he can generate these square one looks. And so I don't know that he's the perfect fit for the current iteration of the Lakers, but they clearly, like you said, saw something in him. I don't know if it was more so, well, we know we're going to have to give up Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram, and so we're just going to deem one of Josh Hart or Kyle Kuzma untouchable. I don't know if that's what it came down to, but there's a clear value there. And look, it seems like he's just handled sort of the the lack of continuity in Los Angeles pretty well, where it wasn't, you know, you saw kind of Ingram and Lonzo Ball struggle to adapt around LeBron James. They've since kind of talked about that since leaving the Lakers and Kuzma has had those struggles as well, but you don't really, it's not something that he really just looked towards or or leans on. So I respect his ability to try and fit in. And when you look at the way that, that he plays is that, yeah, you know, a lot of the shots that he's taking are the ways that he's being used on offense. Like he's trying to, to be this seamless fit, for the team. And so I do still think he can be a very valuable scorer and that there's always going to be, I call this the, the Andrew Wiggins uh, paradox is that I don't think that Andrew Wiggins is a good basketball player, but there's almost more value or it's, he's more useful knowing that he's comfortable operating with the ball in his hands over shooting off the catch with the Warriors. That's a problem, but I'm just saying in a vacuum. And so that's kind of the type of player that Kuzma reminds me of not Wiggins specifically, but I'm looking at his offense where it's, he's someone who's going to be comfortable controlling everything which in theory is a lot more difficult than hitting those shots off the catch and that's kind of where I land on him and I I think there's some value too in being able to fill a high volume scoring role off the bench even with substandard efficiency because if you can still go out and like keep the offense afloat against second units maybe you're not going to thrive against starters or maybe you're not going to be making undeniably positive impacts but just the ability to kind of minimize the drop-off that happens when you go to the second unit on the offensive end like there's value to that and the fact that he's capably filled that role at a young age is important attention hardwood Knox listeners there is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners betonline.ag 
Sports are slowly making their way back, and Bet Online is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? Bet Online has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, Blue Wire. Bet online, your online wagering experts. So, moving on to eight, though, we have uh, we have Meta World Peace, Ron Artest, Panda's friend, whatever he's going by today. I, I think he actually like did officially change his name to something else, and I'm just totally blanking on what it is now. Um, but he was eighth. He was tenth on the fan vote. He was up to sixth for me. He was seventh for you. For me, this was a player. Uh, where the thereness did matter just because he he did spend so much time like as as a quality player towards the end of his career in this decade. He he was uh, fourth in minutes played, just barely behind Jordan Clarkson. And the 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 stints with the Lakers in this decade were separated into two. He had the the coming off the the 2010 title. He spent three more years there. Then he played for the Knicks. He went and played in China and Italy. And then he came back and played another 60 games over two seasons for the Lakers at a much lower level. Um, so that kind of takes away from the thereness. But the first stint alone, I think, was enough, um, especially on the defensive end, to get him into the top 10. Yeah, I have really nothing to add to that. I, I think what really put him over the top, if you were on the fence about including him, is that, well, he just came back in the middle of the decade and played another 60 games for, for the Lakers. Right. Just really right. drive up his his thereness factor. And look... This is like going to read like a tweet. Prime Meta World Peace was a caps lock problem. Smoke face emoji. <laughs> he doesn't fall. He, Prime Meta World Peace doesn't really fall um, into this category. But, you know, the first three seasons with the Lakers, particularly those first two, uh, just a, really a work work hard, try hard on, on the defensive end. And we might be inflating his standing because, one, this was so confusing. And, two, maybe we're like sort of nostalgic for the way that he was playing defense. He didn't – his last all-defensive team was in – in 2009 but I think when you spend as much time as as he ended up doing there for the Lakers particularly in this conversation I know you said you don't wait there there in factor too much but to play that many separate seasons five where you don't have the most games or the most minutes but you spent five separate seasons in Los Angeles over this decade look you you need to make the cut yeah I, I agree and uh, for, it's it's funny like Meta World Peace for me he feels like one of those guys where it almost seems like he had a 50-year career because it seems like he spent a decade in LA and it seems like he spent a decade with Indiana and there were still four other teams that he played for. And like they're marginally memorable stints like Sacramento and Chicago, especially. Um, but obviously that's not the case. Um, and I, I'm not sure that's really how he's going to end up being remembered um, a decade from now, but Hey, at least he gets to be in the top 10 on this weird franchise. Yeah, and look, if you're looking for what his current name is, it's Meta Sanford Artest. That is his current legal name. Oh, well, I, I learned something today. Just throwing that out there as a, as a nice little fun fact. There was your trivia, but it was. We'll just we'll have to make sure that when this is published, that it's accurate. Because if he changes it again between recording and publication, which is a possibility, <laughs> he did change it in May 2020. So that's actually fairly recent. <laughs> yep. All right. So moving on. From the uh, the fascinating human being that is Meta World Peace, we have a two way tie uh, for sixth place between Brandon Ingram and Anthony Davis. 
Uh, Davis was up at fourth place for the fans. I had him at seventh. You did not have him. Brandon Ingram was ninth for both me and the fans. You had him up at number four. Um, this is I, my I am, this is my Brandon Ingram victory lap. I'm very against victory laps because we're we're all so wrong about so many things that I don't believe we get to celebrate well, when we're speak right. Speak for yourself there. Well, I am. I'm going to put on my hypocrisy hat right now, just because. I was very bullish on Brandon Ingram with the Lakers when people were talking about, oh, could Julius Randle be better? Is Lonzo Ball the better prospect? Brandon I can Ingram confirm. Has, I got like a text a day about Brandon Ingram. If Probably more than that. But I feel vindicated. Obviously, this is what he's done in New Orleans. But if you look at his close to the latter two seasons he spent with the Los Angeles Lakers, yeah, you know, they weren't those full-year samples. But he was playing at an all-star level, particularly in – 2018, 2019, before he, you know, I say it's the end of the season, but it was the end of his, it was towards the tail end of his season because he had those blood clot issues. He just, I watching him always felt like someone who was going to succeed in the NBA. Even when he wasn't making his shots, he was getting to his spots. There felt like a fluidity to his game. Yes, you want him to take more threes. Doesn't seem like he was, he, he wasn't that guy. And it doesn't seem like he's going to be that guy to hit off the dribble threes. That's ultimately fine. For, for me, just because of how much uh, versatility he provides as as a playmaker. And yes, he's going to take some difficult shots, but he's comfortable with making them. Uh, he looks, towards the end of his uh, tenure with the Lakers, he, looked, he at least looked a little bit more comfortable finishing around the rim, um, though not nearly as comfortable as he does look now in New Orleans. And then the other thing that I think we kind of overlook, and maybe that's getting lost in, in this season because he has struggled defensively with the Pelicans. I think that's one due part, in part, to the, how they play their offense, but also just two with Los Angeles, he was just such a, a disruptor. And you're, I still think even now that you can get, um, you know, defense at the two, three, four spots from him. And to be kind of someone who I, I don't think you're ever going to anchor a very good defense, but despite being more lanky than you are strong, uh, I think he matches up well with bigger wings and even certain, let's say, pure fours for that matter. And so someone who is just as active and really knows how to use his length on the defensive end, I always felt that even relative to how he was underachieving, that he was still underrated during his time with Los Angeles. It feels like Ingram has bounced between being overrated and underrated throughout his entire career, like maybe more so than any other player in the league. It felt like there were, he, he entered the league with so much hype as the number two pick of the 2016 draft, and he's really disappointing as a rookie. He only averaged 9.4 points. He shot 29.4% on threes, 40.2% from the field. And it seemed like, okay, like maybe he's going to be a bust. Like Maybe the Lakers squandered their first really high draft pick in decades. And then his sophomore season came around and like, hey, maybe he's underrated. Like this, The end to his, his sophomore season seemed full of promise, but then you know, 2018, 19 rolls around and all of a sudden he's overrated because he's really struggling at the beginning of the year. And then we accept that that's his new normal. And then he breaks out big time before the blood clot issues popped up. And all of a sudden now he seems to be continuing on that trajectory with New Orleans. But he's just he's been a fascinating player because it seems like the consensus opinion on him has been wrong at every single turn. And look, the, I think the the absence of continuity really ends up hurting him when you look at how many different versions of the Lakers he played for. Right. I specifically believe that uh, the end of 2017 to 2018 
probably spills over into 2018, 2019 if you don't have LeBron James there. And that's an adjustment that everyone had to make. Look, it's LeBron James, so you make it. I'm not criticizing them for that. But he was just a part of so many different iterations of the Lakers within those three seasons that it's not really surprising that he struggled and never really found like this happy, sustainable medium. Right. And I, I think the adjustment, if, if I may segue to Davis here, is that was kind of the reason that I had Davis higher and why I kind of understand why the fans had him all the way up at fourth. I think you can make an argument that he's been the second best player that has played for them this decade. And that's not meant as disrespect to Kobe Bryant or to Pau Gasol, but they were at the the back ends of their careers when the time frame that we're talking about started. Davis has been phenomenal this year, albeit only for 55 games. But his ability to adjust to playing with a ball-dominant superstar in LeBron James and, and to continue operating at such a ridiculously high level in a small sample size, um, in a season that isn't yet complete, um, that that's really impressive. And I, I think that he has reinvigorated this franchise with with the hope and with the, the Lakers exceptionalism that has been part and parcel for the franchise for so long. And I, I do understand why we're willing to give him sort of the, the benefit that the statistics aren't necessarily providing in a way that we, we aren't for someone like Ingram. Yeah. I just couldn't bring myself to, to put him on there after just a 55 game sample size. And if I, which I think is an understandable decision as well. If I was not off, if I wasn't going to put Odom or Bynum on mine, it was just really tough to put Anthony Davis there. Still, I think you can make the case pretty strongly that he's the best player of the decade to play for the Lakers in his prime. Just because you look at, Mm. you're kind of hitting the tail end of, of Kobe Bryant's heyday here, LeBron James, if you still want to consider LeBron James as being in his prime, that's absolutely fine with me. I won't argue with you there. But if you do think that this is the the tail end of LeBron's career in some form, then I think Anthony Davis ends up taking that title pretty handedly. That's fair. Who, that's fair. Um, who, come, who comes in at number five for us? Number five did not appear in the fans' top ten. He was actually down at 16th place um, behind Nick Young and Derek Fisher, which is which is interesting. Um, I had him up at number four, you had him at number five, and it is Cantavius Caldwell-Pope. I'm not really sure what to say about KCP because he's just sort of been there filling a a three and D role without really excelling at either the three or the D part of that. (laughs) Hey, this season, 39.4% from three, shooting 54.3% on his twos. And I've, this is my bias probably creeping in, but I've been, I was higher on him when he was with Detroit. I thought he was definitively better and worth a lot more money than Tim Hardaway Jr. Um, I clearly missed on KCP to a big extent, but I still think he's a very helpful player. And what probably drags down his value over the previous two seasons, including the first one that he spent with LeBron is that yes, one, there's the, the changing teams thing, but you also weren't on, great teams to begin with and now it seems like he's sort of found a wheelhouse on a good team and and you can show and you and it's proven that he can really move the needle for a a contender or at least a a really good team the Lakers are a contender but I'm saying you could move him out of this situation he would still be good and impactful for a quality squad if you can live with the heat checks off the dribble in transition from three the KCP experience to me 
is worth it. And he is never really developed into this. Detroit tried, and then the Lakers kind of got away from this after year one, once they bring in LeBron. He's not really going to give you a ton of secondary playmaking, but someone who can work off the dribble with the ball, who's fine um, hitting those shots off the catch, and who is going to work on defense, and whose defensive range sort of just belies his physical tools because he's he's 6'5", and that seems like it might be a generous listing. He's not super long, and yet you can get away with him. You'd rather him defend either guard position, which is fine, but you can get away with certain stints with him defending actual wings. And so this isn't me arguing that KCP needs to have his banner hung up in, in Staples Center, have his jersey retired in Staples Center, but I think that he's been, particularly this season, uh, that he's been really good. And so for someone who spent the past two seasons on weird versions of the Lakers and now showing that you can make a high level impact on this good of a team. I think that really needs to earn serious consideration within this entire conversation. Yeah. I mean, I had him up at fourth. Um, and I, I think that what we're seeing from KCP now is the new normal where he's kind of accepted that he has a smaller role and he's going to excel in it. And I think it, it, it's understandable that it took so much time to get there because of the lack of continuity, but also because of the player that he was asked to be in college. So, you know, I, I, I was at Georgia at the same time as Caldwell Pope. So I saw I got to see him play a lot of games at Stegman Coliseum in Athens, Georgia, and he was the guy there. And that team was awful around him. There was no other even fringe NBA quality player joining him. So he constantly had double teams thrown at him and he was still asked to take those tough shots and be the guy. And it's a tough adjustment from being the guy to being not the guy. Uh, I mean, as, as basic as that sounds, when, when you're used to being the guy taking the, the hero shots and the bailout possessions on offense at the end of the shot clock, and all of a sudden you're asked to be a, a definitive role player, which he was in Detroit, which he was in LA. I, I think that he's finally getting to the point where he's accepted that role and has realized that it's in his best interest to thrive in it without necessarily trying to push those boundaries. And that's what we're seeing this year on a good team. Right. And what you're, so you, you kind of, I don't want to say limit him to, but you're going to have someone who specializes in taking, taking threes, assisted threes, and then really getting out in transition and capitalizing on those opportunities. And he just looks more comfortable doing that. Uh, this is the best year he's had, even when he is putting the ball on the floor, just from a, a handle perspective, his turnover rate has has never been lower. And so it does sort of feel like he's coming in to his own. And like you said, that journey to kind of this it's probably tough. This sounds way too profound for talking about basketball right now. But that journey for kind of discovering the player that he like needed to be in the NBA or one that he can be sustainably, because even in Detroit, it felt like there was this rush to to coordinate or to expand his arsenal where it was this could never be the player that KCP could be in Detroit. Like they needed him right. to be that uh, higher volume pick and roll guy pro- during his, you know, definitely his right. last season, maybe also that second to last season with the Pistons as well. So it's, I, I think he's still somewhat of a punchline to people, but he's been just this, this really net big net positive for the Lakers this year. And probably has been just by the numbers, their best shooter. Uh, when you're looking at uh, from three point land, Danny green is still going to be their most reliable three point marksman but he might be their second most dependable one just in a, in a bubble and no disney world pun intended there <laughs> yeah and and you need that especially on a team that's that's led by lebron um i i get why why the fans didn't have him in the top 10 because he's not glamorous he's not been much more than a role player 
Um, and he's ultimately been a little bit disappointing and he has that no trade clause, which I think is going to turn people against him a little bit. Um, but you know, I, I, I'm glad that he's, he's getting some credit here for the journey that he's taken. And look, you can't hold a no trade clause against him anymore. No, because definitely the trade not. deadline has passed. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But let's move on to number four, because I think it's one of my favorite placements in any of the 14 of these episodes that we've done so far. And it's Julius Randall, who is somehow in fourth place, despite not appearing in the top four on any ballot. Like, I'm not talking about the fan vote or my vote or Dan's vote. I'm talking about any fan ballot. He had zero votes in the top four from anyone and still finished fourth because everyone is all jumbled throughout this entire process. So he was seventh for the fans. He was fifth for me. He was he was sixth for you. Um, and I feel like all those placements are pretty appropriate just because you know, his career got off to such a weird start when he had the season-ending injury one game into his rookie season. Um, his delayed debut, for lack of a better term, went well, um, but he was quickly exposed for only being able to go to his left, only using his left hand. Like He did, didn't have very much of an offensive arsenal. He was kind of a liability on defense at times, but he's been a hardworking player who has put up some big numbers for bad teams now. Yeah, there's like it, the fact that you can't use him. What really hurts him is that you can't use him at center and have a prayer of fielding a good defense is, is probably the biggest thing to hold him back. I am curious if he never gets injured as a rookie and like never right. breaks his leg. Is he, he's probably still around the same player, but do we view him in more, rosy terms like just because he would have by default been a bigger part of the like lakers long-term plan at that point i i honestly don't I think know. so just because like uh, reputations are established so quickly right. in the nba and once there's a popular perception it's really hard to break past that i mean i think we see that especially with like guards on defense like how hard has it been for the consensus opinion to accept that steph curry and james harden aren't atrocious defenders like they were early in their careers. Um, I, I think that's a little bit of what we saw with Randall, where it was like, okay, like, you know, he he played one game in his rookie season. His second year, he only averaged 11.3 points per game. Um, like, maybe he's not this really high, high-valued prospect that we thought he could be coming out of Kentucky. He's also one of those players where you look at his assist numbers, and they're for his position, they're good. And I just don't trust him to create for anyone. Like those right. passes. I mean, look for at him, the turnover numbers too. Right. The, the passes feel like last resorts. Is mm-hmm. is how I would describe it. Still, he could be fun to watch because he's like, and this is not a unique comparison, but he's like a bowling ball when he gets up and down the court, like at full momentum. And so, the, if you can have a big guy who can lead fast breaks, that's great. I just you can't really play to me the four position as effectively in today's NBA without having some semblance of a three point shot. And while he never really took them in Los Angeles. Uh, never averaged more than 0.9 three-point attempts per game with LA. And so he started taking them with the Pelicans and the Knicks, just not at a high clip, although he was at 34.4% while he was in New Orleans. So, but, but with Los Angeles specifically, that final year there leading into restricted free agency, which became unrestricted free agency for him, that he had a really good year. He shot 57.5% on his twos, and that was with a ton of offensive responsibility. He wasn't subsisting solely on these gimme opportunities and, and assisted looks. So he had that one really good year. And if you want to argue that his third season was better than replacement level, I, I think that's fine. And so having at least two solid to, to really good seasons in this 
uh, era for the Lakers, I think it immediately gives you like top five consideration. I, of course, didn't have him there, but the fact that he was able to appear in semi-close spots on all of the ballots, it, it almost makes sense that he ends up as high as he did. I kind of want to see this Lakers decade team play some of the previous Lakers decade teams because it would be hilarious. I mean, we're talking about Julius Randle in fourth place. Right. Like, no disrespect meant to Julius Randle, who has... He's again, he's put up big numbers on bad teams. It's not, but like, come on. It's not the outside of the top three. It's not one that you would expect from what has remained a flagship franchise. Like the Knicks have just been awful for so long. When we get to them, it's all right, right, whatever. But because it's the Lakers and because it's because they've like weren't just bad this entire decade, like they've had probably three good seasons of the decade so maybe you almost forget about that but the lakers have never lost their flagship status and so you would just expect a a better selection but i think just between um ushering out the the kobe bryant era and then trying to figure out what you were going to do it looked like they wanted to rebuild around the kitties but then it was not we're just going to pivot to all free agency everything uh I'm, I won't say th- that lack of decisiveness, but certainly that the number of versions of the Lakers that we have seen this decade uh, under all these different circumstances, I think that contributes to why this is such a confusing, and I would say outside the top three lackluster list. I 100% agree with you. And let's move into the top three so that we can stop talking about mediocre Lakers. Um, number three is LeBron James. He was second for the fan vote. He was third for both you and I. Um only two seasons. That's really the only knock that you can you can have against LeBron's time with the Lakers right now. I mean, what he's done this season in particular is phenomenal. Leading the league in assists, kind of reinventing his game again, extending his prime into this age 35 season, still saying that he has an argument to be called the best player in the world. I'm not quite sure that he deserves that actual title right now, but in a playoff series, he might still be the the number one choice to build around, even ahead of Giannis Antetokounmpo and and the other contenders for that role. You know, his he suffered the first pseudo major injury of his career with the groin injury that kind of led to some time off during his first year in LA. That's probably the only other knock against him. But what he's done in bringing this franchise back to prominence. I don't really hate it if you have him even higher than third. Yeah, look, when you're the best player or in the conversation for best player in the NBA for more than a season with a team, I think it's fair to just automatically assume you'll be near the top of a decade ranking list. And with him, you know, it's a little bit hypocritical maybe for me to say, well, I can't put Odom or Bynum on here or Anthony Davis, but I put LeBron. LeBron has more games in a Lakers uniform this decade than all three of those guys. And it's sort of like you said, I would say... I think Giannis Antetokounmpo is the best player in the NBA overall, but if you were to pick a player that you want, you need one win in a playoff series. It's between LeBron or Kawhi right now, for me, if that makes any sense. And the I fa- agree with you. The fact that he is still in that conversation, this, was, this is his age 35 season, is just absolutely remarkable. And look... He just de- he just decided essentially. This isn't. I won't say it's necessarily out of necessity, even though it is, because the Lakers lack these secondary playmakers. But he came in age thirty five season, second year with the Lakers. Another sort of uh, off season of, of turnover, where you gave away a ton of youngsters to get Anthony Davis, and he was just basically like, "Well, I'm just going to lead the league in assists." That is astounding. And so I think he definitely belongs in the top three. 
it's probably tough to put him any higher for me just because he there are those ties that the next two players have to the organization that LeBron doesn't yet have and will, will probably never have even if he wins a title. But if someone just came in and said, look, I think you need to go with talent here and contributions during this time that they spent with the Lakers, you probably could make a case to put him at number one. I, I do not disagree with that. I do, however, have a trivia question for you now. I was hoping we were going to get through a, po- a decade rankings podcast without. Oh hell no, absolutely not. Um, so when when LeBron first joined the Lakers, I remember I, I wrote a piece for Bleacher Report about the best players who had ever worn a Lakers jersey. It wasn't about what they had done in a Lakers uniform, which is why guys like Gary Payton and Carl Malone were mentioned, as well as LeBron, who had yet to do anything for the Lakers in that jersey. And I, I think a lot of people misinterpret it. And they got a lot of hate because of that. Um, but that's neither here nor there. But the point is that a season and a half later, he's done enough that all of a sudden we can talk about him as one of the primary contributors to the Lakers throughout their storied history. Not in any way a Pantheon member of the franchise like a Kareem or a Jerry West or a Kobe or a Magic Johnson or even going back to a George Mikan. So my question to you is where after these two seasons – with the second one still kind of in progress, I guess, does he rank in win shares? All time on the Lakers? All time on the Lakers. Well, I know how many win shares he has because I was just looking at them before. That would be 16.8 right. and for anyone who's curious. That doesn't really feel like an awful lot. All time. Mm, 25th. He's actually 39th because, again, the history of this franchise is remarkable. So he's he's sandwiched between Michael Thompson and and Meta World Peace. The second part of this trivia question is to see how many of the top 10 you can name. Oh, come on. (laughs) Kobe. That's number one. Kareem. Number three. Magic Johnson. Number four. Worthy. Number nine. Jerry West. Number two. I'm going to forget names that I said. Is Elgin Baylor on there? Elgin Baylor is sixth. One of the most underrated players ever, by the way, Mr. Elgin Baylor. Uh, Pau Gasol? Pau Gasol is 13th. So I'm not even going to bother. You've only got four names left in the top 10. That's basically like half, which is really like... I'm I'm trying to think of the obvious ones that I'm forgetting. I might just have, oh Shaq! Holy crap, Shaq! There, there's one. He's number seven. Wow. Am I forgetting anyone else obvious? I mean, I already mentioned one of them, and you haven't said his name. Oh, did you? I definitely wasn't paying yeah. attention then. That's all right. I'm used to that. Um, I let's just call it. I named seven. Well, no, let me. Is Odom on there? Odom is not. Odom is fifteenth. Yeah, I didn't think he was. I didn't have high hopes for that pick. FYI, might just have. Might just have to call it. Byron Scott is 10th. That, I wouldn't have gotten Ver, him. I'm going to let you know right Vern now. Mickelson is 8th. Wouldn't have gotten him either. And George Mikan is 5th. That's one I should have gotten. Eh, that's all right. He, he, did, he did finish his time in Minneapolis in 1956. Not naming Shaq looks pretty bad. Hey, you got it eventually. I was hoping that you would, and, and, you, and you did not let me down. That's tough anyway, being put on the spot like this. Can you take us through? That's probably enough on LeBron James. Can you take us to the number two spot? The number two spot belonged to Pau Gasol, who was third for the fans and was second for both of us. Uh, 
I feel like it would be really hard to make a case that Pau Gasol has been the second best Laker from a single season standpoint or from a peak level standpoint um, throughout his time, especially because we're not considering the two title winning years that he was an integral part of winning. Um, but still, you know, he, he spent four years with the Lakers during this decade, one of which resulted in an all-star appearance, all four of which he was still a high quality offensive player in particular. Um, so he he seems to be pushed ahead through a combination of the thereness factor and the peak level that he was playing at. Right. I mean, look, the three of the four seasons he spent uh, with Los Angeles here, like he was just an offensive machine. And even looking at the four years in totality, 17.1 points, 9.8 rebounds, 3.6 assists per game. Uh, while shooting over fifty percent from two, and he took he was like he was a, more of a pick and pop big, could do stuff in the post, but so he's taking a lot of jumpers to be remain that efficient through what was his age thirty three season. Uh, never never got to the point where he was taking a ton of threes with the Lakers. He don't, that only ever really happened during his seasons with the the Spurs and that one year with the Bulls. Still, just, I, just his legacy in general with the Lakers. I wonder if he's just fully appreciated. I think he is, but he was. There were times in playoff series where he was sort of just dead even with Kobe Bryant when looking at how valuable he was to the team winning. And so maybe you could it, it, look, it, it was impossible for me to put LeBron over Powell or, or over Kobe, but maybe you could make an argument for, for LeBron over Powell. But again, there's like those intrinsic ties to the organization, even though these weren't championship winning years, that I think both Gasol and Kobe have quite handily over LeBron. Would you retire the number 16 jersey? I think I would. I think you have to. I, the, the Lakers have had so many jerseys retired already. Um, I'm trying to get the exact number here. I just I don't know if... if you To be the second best player on two championship teams, and is he's going to be... I mean, this has more to do with just the NBA, obviously, but he's going to be a Hall of Famer. So, yeah. and, and you look at, I, I think I think you do it. Yeah, the Lakers have retired 11 numbers so far. No one has worn 16 since since Pau did. Granted, there's not been much time for, for people to have that opportunity. But yeah, I, I feel like it, it would be difficult not to. I wonder if this is even a discussion. This might sound like a dumb question to Lakers fans where it might just be a reflexive yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm let not us sure. know. <laughs> I've not really seen anything about this one before. Um, but yeah, let, let us know for sure. Look, if you're going to, I think it's just generally, and mostly because Joe Lacob said as much, you're going to retire an Andre Godala in Golden State, then a POW becomes a no-brainer, even for a, a franchise like the Lakers, as storied as they are. Number yeah, one. It, it looks like oh. there there has been some conversation about it just through my quick uh, my quick Google search here, and he's talked about how it would be an honor to have his jersey retired, and there have been opinion pieces about how how people should. Um, but yeah, it, it doesn't seem like there's any like, oh yeah, this is an obvious answer at least. I guess because what? He only spends how many seasons in total with the Lakers? A little bit more than six? Like is that just not long enough to become a consensus jersey retiree? Yeah, when two of them result in titles though. Also very fair. Can you take us to number one, where we know there was a major upset that is going major. to shock everyone? Yeah, it was it was Kobe Bryant. Kobe was the only player who appeared on every single fan ballot. 
Um, two people did not have LeBron. Three people did not have Pau Gasol. Seven people did not have Anthony Davis, in, including including Dan. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it feels like Kobe was both the obvious number one and not necessarily a lock for that number one spot, if that makes any sense. Because he, you know, he, the first the first couple of seasons of this decade period that we're looking at, he was still Kobe Bryant. But then we had the Achilles tear and only a six-game season and a 35-game season. And, and he was operating at not a net negative level, I don't, I don't think, but at, a, at a certainly a diminished level. But then we still have the, the indelible memories provided by like the 60-point game to finish his career. And he's still Kobe Bryant. And and just how much he meant to the Lakers franchise. I don't know. I, I felt like it wouldn't necessarily be like a blasphemous choice to have anybody else or to have two other people, I guess, in that number one spot. But I, I still like didn't really hesitate before putting him in my number one spot. Does that make any sense? Am I just kind of talking in circles here? No, that's exactly where I landed. Although I think you can, you don't need to tiptoe around it. He was, his final three seasons there, he was only six games for one of them, as you told Achilles. He was a net negative. It was just, that was what, if it was going to be a difficult decision, that's what made it so difficult. But he had those two exceptional campaigns uh, that fall under this decade. And look, 2012, 2013 in particular, even though that team was a, a disaster, Kobe Bryant, age 34, campaign was just an absolute monster as a playmaker as a scorer and when he got injured you just felt that they're you know were they, they yes they were clawing and and fighting for a playoff spot and while he was healthy it felt like they were going to get it but once he went down I think you appreciated how much he actually meant to that team that was supposed to be better than him and I know they were dealing with injuries to Gasol and to Steve Nash but that mm. was just one heck of a year to have and he, of course, it was downhill after that, but that's to be expected. I was with you, though. If you wanted to be a stickler, could you maybe make the case that this spot belongs to a power LeBron James? Maybe, but the um, emotional value that Kobe has to the Lakers and something that I was even surprised to see, and you know that I'm not the the biggest Kobe advocate, definitely did sort of a, a personality 180 later on in his career, but I've always had trouble uh, reconciling the uh, – you know, the, the rape accusations with him and how he kind of handled himself earlier in his career, but just the connection that fans felt to him and also current players, current players, like a Trey Young, who's so young that wasn't even watching Kobe Bryant in his prime, uh, to, to feel like, the, uh, well, they obviously did know him, but to feel that just sort of camaraderie with him, that's something that really drives up Kobe's value in this discussion to me is because he, he still is the Lakers organization. Like that's who this uh, franchise has become most synonymous with, I, I believe. And uh, to me, that made this an easy decision, even though those final three seasons, because of injuries, because of age, because of uh, pretty bad performances slash pretty bad teams that he was on, maybe that opened the door for someone else to creep in, but I never really fully considered it. And let's not forget that, and, and there's a chance that Space Jam 2 could change this, but that Kobe is the only Oscar winner in the last decade for the Lakers. It's also true, and it's I'm pretty sure Space Jam 2 at this point is going to fall outside this decade, so he has nothing to worry about. This is true. Any honorable mentions that you would so like to many. get through? <laughs> so many. All right, honorable. so we'll end the podcast there since we have no honorable mentions. 
So outside of the top 10 of the fan vote, we had Dwight Howard at 11th. We had Lonzo Ball and D'Angelo Russell tied at 12th. Derek Fisher was 14th. Nick Young was 15th. Kentavious Caldwell-Pope was 16th. Jordan Clarkson at 17, Lou Williams at 18, Rajon Rondo at 19, JaVale McGee at 20, Shannon Brown at 21, a tie between Jeremy Lin and Robert Sacre at 22. Oh boy. Avika Zubac and Matt Barnes were tied for 24th. Tied for 26, we had Brooke Lopez and Sviatoslav Mikhailiuk. 28th was a tie between Steve Blake and Alex Caruso, who I'm shocked wasn't higher in the fan vote. 30th, we had a tie between Luol Dang, Sasha Vujicic, and Timofey Mozgov. 33rd was Larry Nance Jr. 34th was a tie between Danny Green, Jordan Hill, and Trevor Ariza. And then receiving one 10th place vote apiece, we had Jordan Farmar, Jody Meeks, Ed Davis, and Jimmy Butler. <laughs> the only one that's actually just ridiculous on there is Jimmy Butler because he didn't play for the team. Did you name KCP within that list, though? Yeah, he was 16th. How is that possible? Did I, didn't he did make- I skip over him somehow? No, I'm saying, didn't he make? He was sixth on the composites. How did he end up being a honorable mention? I'm I'm just talking about from the fan vote. Oh, the honorable mentions excuse. aren't composite. Yeah, just just purely looking at the fan ballots. I should have made that more clear. Well, that's a lot of that's a lot of names. It's a lot of names. I'm impressed that I'm I'm impressed with myself that I got through all of them. Yeah, look, your pronunciation on them were, were spot on. I'm a little bit upset that uh, I didn't hear Carlos Boozer's name. I don't remember hearing uh, Roy Hibbert either, but I'll get over it. I mean, you can always give him a shout out at the end of the podcast. Well, can't be one of those two now. But with that, all of that said, we hope you enjoyed this. It was a, it was really a tough one for us to get through in a good way because it's a nice thought exercise. But this was a very tough uh, list to compile. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, particularly if you're enjoying these Decade Ranking series, or subscribe, rate, review us wherever else you are getting your podcasts. Until next time, Adam and I will be coming at you with the Memphis Grizzlies rankings, but until then, we leave you with a shout-out to the one, the only, the Lakers legend, Carl Clark. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.